Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Approximately 5,000 women turn 65 in the United States every day. Despite that, many feel alone, forgotten, and unprepared for the realities of aging and retirement and all that comes with it. My guest today is Marjorie Fox, co-author of a book called Women Wise, The Essential Guide to Financial and Lifestyle Decisions as We Age. She's going to talk about unique challenges older women often face in their sunset years, all of which make retirement harder to navigate. She'll also offer comprehensive and practical financial advice to help older women be better prepared and more confident as they embark on the rest of their life's journey. So welcome, Marjorie, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Okay, well, Marjorie, let's just kind of set the stage here about retirement years. I've mentioned a little bit in the intro, but explain to us how do retirement years differ for women and for men? Well, there are both advantages and disadvantages for women. Um, I can think of one advantage, and I like to start with positive. Women in in research that was published in 2014 and was cited recently in the New York Times, adults were given the option of either entertaining themselves with their own thoughts for 15 minutes or giving themselves painful electric shocks. 67% of men chose the shocks. Only 25% of women did. Letting our minds wander and engaging in certain kinds of daydreaming can give us joy, serenity, and even make us more creative. Whatever we can do to increase our joy, serenity, and creativity helps us in the later stages of life. So women are a bit ahead in that sense, but nevertheless, there are disadvantages. Women have fewer financial resources because of fewer years in the workforce and lower earnings on average. Women tend to outlive men. They marry older men, an average of five years older, and they live longer, roughly two and a half years. So they're single for more years. They also remarry less frequently. As the old saying goes, women mourn men replace. Finally, men may have the age in financial literacy, investments, and the like. Or maybe men just have more confidence than women do. And so another aspect that you mentioned in your book uh, was about elder abuse. And can you explain how might elder abuse impact women, perhaps you could give some examples. Well, according to AARP, and that's a source of some very interesting information, but according to AARP, seniors are losing about $3 billion annually to perpetrators. Other media sources have reported that elder losses are more than 10 times that number at $36 billion. Both men and women left their technology professionals behind when they left the workforce. I know that impacted me. And because women, married women, are likely to spend more time as singles than men, they are more often a victim of scams than men are. 
During those first years of retirement, many of us are probably as rich as we're likely to be. However, over time, our non-tangible assets, such as our physical and our mental health, may begin to deteriorate, usually subtly and slowly, but sometimes dramatically. Because married women are likely to spend more time as singles than men, they are more often a victim of scams than men are. A couple of examples, uh, the grandparent scam. One of my clients a number of years ago fell victim to it. Uh, she thought it was her grandson calling and wired or somehow sent $40,000 to the voice on the other end of the phone. Uh, I thought that was in the past, kind of like Nigerian princes. But AARP just last month revisited the grandparents scam and said it's just as widespread as it's ever been. Another example is telemarketing. Eleanor, my co-author, shares a story in the book about her mother who, unbeknownst to Eleanor, was having fine conversations with an Omaha State salesman every week or so. And she would order a ton of Omaha steaks. And she'd forget that she'd ordered them. And so another week would come and she'd order another ton of Omaha steaks. And Eleanor only discovered this when she paid a visit to her mother and found Omaha steaks um, on the steps of her home. Of course, they were rotting. So those are a couple of examples. And I'm sure there are many more as well. So, but, and, and thank you for that. That's, that's very helpful. So let's turn to the positive of, of how older women can stay. And I like the terms that you use, safe, solvent, and secure. Can you give us brief examples of, of recommendations for each of these states that, you know, we're trying to achieve for older women, safe, solvent, and secure? In Women Wise, we discuss 11 common sense measures. So here are six of them. First, stay connected with family members, friends, your neighbors, and your communities, because they will notice changes in your behavior and help you take some action. Second, practice safe information management in and around your house. Use a lockbox to receive your mail or have it held at the post office for regular pickup. Shred all papers that contain personal information. Ask your pharmacy if they will accept and recycle your pill bottles. Invest in a small home safe for important documents. Never discard an old computer without wiping its hard drive clean. Third, when a telemarketer calls, the first thing you should be told is the name of the caller and what they are selling. If this information is not provided right up front, the caller is breaking the law. Hang up. Fourth, take advantage of AARP membership, their fraud watch network, and their e-learning site. Fifth, keep close tabs on three key documents the summary of benefits from Medicare, your Social Security and our pension records, and your credit reports with the three major credit reporting agencies. Because that way you can keep tabs on whether, for example, um, there's a doctor's charge uh, on your Medicare that you did not incur. So keep your eyes wide open. And then finally, we'd say verify, then trust. Trust and verify was Ronald Reagan's approach to nuclear disarmament. However, we'd all be better off to verify and then trust when using a financial professional, whether a financial advisor, attorney, accountant, or insurance broker or agent you know, make sure you know who you're working with. Good advice. 
Good advice, Marjorie. The other thing I wanted to also hear from you is the different types of life transitions that a woman is likely to experience as she ages. Explain what those are. Well, I want to emphasize that there are, before talking about uh, kind of the sad transitions, there are also joyful transitions. I don't want to neglect that. And transitions are a fact of life as we age, but they're really a fact of life, no matter what our age. Let's start with a joyful, some anticipated, some not. As we get older, the birth of a grandchild, her granddaughter, excuse me, grand graduation and wedding, travel, receiving an inheritance, the sale of a business, retirement, and so on. Then there are the sorrow-filled events, some anticipated, some not. Retirement, loss of a parent or sibling, separation or divorce, downsizing and relocation, a diagnosis or health crisis, caregiving, loss of a spouse or partner. And for all of us, beginning in 2020, the worldwide pandemic. Of course, joy and sorrow are not mutually exclusive. Retirement has been bittersweet for Eleanor and me. Sad because retirement meant giving up long-standing professional identities and stepping back from relationships with clients and colleagues. Sweet because we're out from under the stress of 50 to 60 hour work weeks, dealing with the inevitable turnover of staff, that we as business owners learn to expect. And having to pep talk clients out of rash decisions when stock and bond markets turn volatile, like they have been recently. One event can closely follow another, as they did for me. In 2016, my husband of 43 years died after a traumatic brain injury, which he sustained in a fall at home. In 2018, I retired at almost 22, three years earlier than I planned to, from the firm I co-founded. In 2019, I moved from the single family home that David and I had lived in for more than 35 years. Then in 2020 came the pandemic. But thanks goodness there were joys the births of my granddaughters, one in 2014 and the other in 2020. So it sounds like you, uh, certainly Marjorie, have had a lot of transitions, which I'm sure the listeners can identify with as well. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Another thing that you also talked about was the, the stages of transition. We want to begin to hear now about ways that we can face these kinds of situations, these transitions, successfully. So first of all, as I said, talk about the stages of transition and help us to understand how can life transitions be navigated successfully. Well, Susan Bradley, a colleague of mine and also a resource uh, for the book, I met her and she just published in 2001 a book called Sudden Money about those who inherit or win the lottery, or in some other way, receive a windfall. She went on from there to form the Financial Transitionist Institute. And Susan is known for her four stages of transition. Those are anticipation, ending, passages, and a new normal. First is anticipation. You think about and expect the event. This stage may last weeks, months, or even years, or only minutes. In my case, there was no time at all. My husband, David, sustained a fall at home and suffered a traumatic brain injury. He never regained consciousness and died two weeks later. Then comes ending. After David died, There were the now things and action steps that required my immediate attention. Grieving, of course, but also death certificates, an obituary, a memorial service, and then some. 
After that came the soon decisions. After the now things came the soon decisions and action steps such as notifying bank and brokerage firms, completing new account forms, appraisals, and estate administration, and of course, more grieving. The later decisions and action steps are the items you postpone until you have the time and the energy to plan and implement them, such as whether I would retire sooner rather than later, or stay in my home or move. I postponed those for a couple of years. Third is passive passages. And Susan has a wonderful graph that puts all four of these in into a, a graphic and gives some context. Passages, for me, I took steps to move into the future. I gradually let go of who I once was and began to discover who I might be in the future. This stage can be chaotic. And it was for me. I alternated between glimpses of the possibilities in the future and the fear that accompanies change. And finally, and thank goodness, there's a new normal. In early 2020, my transitional identity, which was widowed, retired, and so forth, gave way to a new identity as a single woman, writer, mother of an adult son, mother-in-law, grandmother, volunteer jogger and church lady. Of course, soon thereafter came the pandemic and the process of transitioning started all over again. I suggest that our listeners Google Susan Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, and learn more from her about this transition process. To that point, one thing that seems to be very interesting and certainly was applicable to you and I'm sure to many folks who are listening is that one of the most important factors is where to live. And I was wondering if you could help us a little bit more focus on that as older women consider best options for where they want to live as they age. Are there certain factors that they need to consider? Um, explain what what they should be thinking about. Well, once upon a time, there were basically two housing options for seniors. You either stayed put, that's remaining in the family home until you passed away, or you got put into a nursing home, usually by a worn out family member. The message is it's a very, it's important imperative that you plan ahead. If you want the decision to be yours rather than a family member's, it's really important that you plan ahead. Some choices, aging in place at your home sweet home. AARP estimates that 78% of retirees would prefer to stay in their home for the duration. Other sources guesstimate as high as 90%. But one study indicated that 41%, whether the number who want to is 78% or 90%, 41% assume that the aging in place option will not be possible. Then there are active living communities providing independent living, typically for those over 55. A local example that I'm familiar with is Heritage Hunt in Gainesville. However, there will at some point, you'll find yourself where your needs take priority over your wants. So then comes assisted living facilities, memory care facilities, and nursing care, or assisted living services, memory care services, and nursing care services in your home. A combination of assisted living, memory care, and nursing home care has been around for decades, and that's a one-stop shop. The CCRC, or Continuing Care Retirement Community. 
So lots of options. Uh, we spend uh, the majority of the chapter on housing with checklists for each type of facility and the considerations that uh, you have to pay attention to. I mean, whatever you do, uh, you have to look at your wants, but your needs may be something else, and you have to look at affordability. If you're planning to age in place, you have layout and design issues. You'll have to really retrofit um, sometimes something as major as an elevator. And if you only want to make one move, in my opinion, you have two choices. And the first is to age in place in your home and be prepared to make your home a place where you can safely age in place or the continuing care retirement community where you can start independent and rather seamlessly move to assisted living if you need it, memory care if you need it, and nursing care if you need it. You do provide lots more information in your book for all of these questions that I'm going to ask you. So uh, one thing I wanted to cover yet right before our break is you mentioned about the possibility of some sort of long-term care. Give us just a little bit of an overview about what women need to know about long-term care insurance. In our view, Eleanor's and mine, women need to be thinking differently than men do about long-term care. There are exceptions, of course, but one spouse, typically the woman, tends to outlive the other spouse, as we've talked about, typically the man. Women often serve as the caregiver for their spouse and then later experience a need that is more likely to require support through a paid caregiver. So here's some things a woman needs to know about long-term care insurance. It's expensive. <clears throat> it's only gotten more expensive over the years. By the time you're in your 60s or 70s, long-term care insurance will be expensive or worse, you may be uninsurable. According to the American Association for Long-Term Care Insurance, the price of a new policy has increased on average somewhere between 30 and 50% just over the past five years. Ouch. So it's a lesson. It's to pursue long-term long care insurance in your 40s and 50s, preferably your 40s, when it's cheaper. Of course, the downside of pursuing long-term care insurance in your 40s is that you will be paying premiums for many more years than if you pursue it say in your 50s or 60s. There is a way to reduce the cost and it's called a share cared option. It gives a married couple the protection of long-term care insurance at a reduced cost. Each spouse takes out a separate plan that has the option to become a rider on their partner's plan. When one spouse dies, the other spouse can usually access whatever remaining benefits their partner had left in their plan. If the woman outlives the man, the woman will have access to what's left of the man's benefit. But I think it's important to remember alternatives to long-term care insurance. The continuing care retirement communities, which we've talked about, and reverse mortgages, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Okay. Well, this is a good place to stop here. This is such good information, and we're really enjoying talking with Marjorie Fox, who is the co-author of a book called Women Wise, The Essential Guide to Financial and Lifestyle Decisions as We Age. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 
888-888-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We're having a great discussion about what women need to know in retirement and our Special guest today is Marjorie Fox, co-author of a book called Women Wise, The Essential Guide to Financial and Lifestyle Decisions as We Age. And Marjorie, obviously, we're really talking about financial issues in that. So help us understand why is financial planning and preparing a spending plan essential before retirement? Well, Financial planning, i uh, talk in a moment, it, it encompasses a spending plan, but I'll kind of describe them separately because financial planning is much broader. It addresses important questions like, can you retire? When? What can you spend? What if you live too long? Will you run out of money? How can you make the right choices when it comes to Social Security, Medicare, long-term care insurance, and so on. Do you have the appropriate property and casualty insurance? By that, I mean auto, homeowner's umbrella. How should you invest as you age? Can you tap into the equity in your home without selling? Do you need to update your estate plan? Spending plan, the really important point here, I mean, it's very important to determine your lifestyle and what it costs in retirement. But, uh, and Eleanor wrote a book about this, a workbook uh, about a decade ago, and it's still available on Amazon about bottom up budgeting. Don't be tempted to start with your pre-retirement income and just start subtracting things that aren't gonna be the case like payroll taxes, because there's more to it than that. Certain expenses may increase and new expenses may be included. So begin from the bottom up rather than the top down. Good advice. And to that point, in, in addition to financial planning and preparing a spending plan, of course, women of over 65 also need to know about Medicare. And I know there are lots of resources out there that you can get basic information about Medicare, but are there certain factors that someone like you could share with our listeners that they should know about Medicare and then perhaps give a, uh, some recommendations for resources where they can learn more about the most suitable plan for them? Medicare is many fine things, but simple it isn't. Just to get us on the same page, there are basically two choices, what we call Original Medicare Plus which is Part A hospitalizations, Part D physician, and Part D uh, prescription drugs. And it comes or should come with a, a supplement policy, a Medigap policy. So that's a Medicare, original Medicare Plus. And then there's Medicare Advantage, which strangely enough is called Medicare Part C. So once we're clear on that, uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about, but I will, uh, let me stress one point, a takeaway from uh, chapter five, and that is, if you start out with Medicare Advantage in your early retirement, maybe because the premium tends to be less than original Medicare Plus, be careful if you decide later on, maybe health isn't quite like it once was, to try to switch to original Medicare Plus. I mean, it's doable and there are open enrollment periods. However, the, the thing you have to be watch out for is that you may no longer be insurable for a Medigap policy. And original Medicare without a Medigap policy is just not enough. Some resources are uh, uh, experts, so we call it, uh, to Medicare is Dr. Katie Votava, V-O-T-A-V-A. She has a website, it's easy to find, and she's written a book. She truly is the expert. And then we receive that guide to Medicare every fall, which can be helpful. It's from the government. 
Absolutely. And I think that's what folks should check out as well. In fact, I also wanted to mention there was an article in the Outlook section of the Washington Post yesterday about Medicare benefits, particularly related to drugs. So folks get uh, the Washington Post, they should check out the Outlook section as well. You also, Marjorie, talked about Social Security benefits. You mentioned that is really one of the most important factors to think about in retirement. So Give us a little more details about what we need to know about Social Security benefits and, again, best resources to find more information. Social Security is so important because for many, if not most, retirees, it provides foundational income. It's where you start when you start thinking about sources of income in retirement. Eleanor and I focus on the mistakes in this chapter that that folks can inadvertently make. And we call one group unforced errors. And one I want to specifically talk about, a takeaway is if you can avoid, and there are some reasons why folks don't choose not, choose to take their benefit at 62, rather than wait till full retirement age, which is now 67, it was 66 for me, Rather than waiting to full retirement age, or even better yet, postponing their benefit until age 70, uh, you, you get percentage increases, 32% if you have a uh, full retirement age of 66, as I did, by waiting until age 70. So claiming benefits early uh, is, can be a mistake. There are circumstances where it isn't. There also are the miss it by an inch, miss it by a mile rules, we call them, uh, where where you miss it by an inch and you miss it by a mile. Uh, One of the uh, uh, MBI, MBMs we talk about uh, is IRMA, the Income Related Monthly Adjustment Amount, short-term IRMA. And what that tells us, and I'm sure some of our listeners are subject to it, is that if your income, and it's defined carefully, in retirement, when you're, past, when you're receiving Medicare, if your income exceeds a certain threshold, and it varies for single and married, separated, I don't mean that, I mean uh, filing separately type folks, if, if you are $1 over that threshold, there is a, not, I won't say huge, but a very significant increase in your Medicare premium. So you miss the income by an inch, you're suddenly thrust into a much higher Medicare premium. Resources, one of our contributors to the book and the contributor to our Social Security chapter is Mary Beth Franklin. Mary Beth Franklin. She is a contributing editor to Investment News She writes books that she updates annually, and really there's no better resource. There is a Social Security handbook provided by the government, but uh, for me, I would go to Mary Beth Franklin for clarity and good advice. So let's move on to some of the terms that you used in your book. The first one, which maybe folks are familiar with, maybe not. So let's talk about annuity. What is an annuity? And explain what older women need to know about annuities and how they can use them to augment their financial security. Well, unlike Social Security, an annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company. The government isn't involved. And in exchange for your premium payments, the insurance company will offer features and make certain promises. Premium payments may be made from either a non-qualified, that is, taxable account, or a qualified, that is, a tax-deferred account, like an IRA. Your growth is is not taxable. It's tax-deferred until you make withdrawals. In our annuity chapter, we describe the many types of annuities. And one of the problems with annuities is, is the terminology. Sometimes the same thing is called it termed three different ways, which further confuses the consumer. I'm going to speak briefly about what I think is most relevant 
to seniors in their retirement years is an immediate income annuity where you pay a, a one lump sum and your payment starts, your payout starts within 12 months of your premium payment, immediate. The insurance company promises steady guaranteed income that continues for a period of time, it's called a term, or for the rest of your life, which is called a lifetime immediate annuity. You can think of a lifetime immediate annuity as a pension that you buy for yourself. This product may be called a single premium immediate annuity or SPIA. Te terminology is confusing. One way of understanding an annuity is to compare it to life insurance. You see them as the inside out version of life insurance. Income annuities protect against the financial risks of living too long. They last as long or can last as long as you do. When we need, we need life insurance, when we are young, if we have others who are financially dependent on us. There is a benefit to annuities that accrues to income annuities that CDs and bonds lack. And this bonus, it's important to understand, is sometimes referred to as a survivor dividend. That is those who die early uh, after a few years of receiving benefits, in effect, subsidize those who live a very long time. So if you're still a living annuitant, you get that benefit. A couple of uses of an income annuity. If you need supplemental income in the interim between retirement and your full retirement age, say, or even between age, seven, age 62 and age 70, where you're, as we talked, where you are eligible for your maximum social security benefit, purchasing an immediate annuity for a specified period of time is likely to be a good choice. And if you need supplemental income because social security and or a pension isn't sufficient to cover your mandatory expenses, those non-discretionary expenses, purchasing a lifetime immediate annuity is likely to be a good choice. The best resource online is at blueprintincome.com. That's blueprintincome.com. They are fiduciaries. They put your interests ahead of their own. And uh, I mean, that's, a, that's <laughs> an unusual thing in the annuity world. Okay, well, let's, let's move on. As I said, we have so many things to cover here. Um, there was a term in your book called decumulation. Can you just briefly tell what that term means and what type of professional can help an older woman find out more information about that? Uh, this is a huge topic, but to clarify terminology, decumulation describes the phase of life when we start drawing on the next nest eggs we have created during our working years. It's the opposite of the accumulation phase, where we are adding to our 401ks and other retirement accounts. What's the difference? When we're in an accumulation phase, it doesn't matter whether the stock and bond markets are going up and down. Over time, we will get the average returns of those markets. However, in the decumulation phase, it really matters whether we retire into a bull market or a bear market. Think of it this way. If you begin withdrawing from the markets when they're declining, you will sell shares of stocks and bonds and spend the money you withdraw. The shares will not be in your portfolio to increase in value as the markets recover. Huge difference. So you uh, have to be mindful. And of course, you can't forecast what the stock and bond markets are going to be when you retire, but be mindful of that. And you may have heard of the 4% rule originated with my friend Bill Bengen, that you can spend 4% in the first year of your retirement of your investment portfolio. And then each and every year thereafter, you increase that amount, not the percent, that amount with inflation. This concept has been has evolved over the last 20 
by almost 30 years since Bill came up with it. Somebody to help, a CFP professional, can help you monitor your portfolio and adjust your allocation and your withdrawals based on what's happening in the markets. Uh, Mid-course corrections are the name of the game when you're retired. All right. And I was just wondering, how can an older woman decide what type of income strategy will best meet her needs in retirement? Well, we talk about this in uh, chapter nine of the book. Uh, It's very important because we just talked about how much you can safely spend each year from your investments and not run out of money. But chapter nine answers addresses anyway, the important question that you must answer. How do you create your retirement paycheck? In other words, how do you generate an income stream from your portfolio? Uh, There are a number of strategies. You could create an income floor by purchasing an annuity. You can just spend your dividends and interest and not touch your principal. You can employ a total return strategy and trim those asset classes that have done well and use the proceeds to spend. There's bucketing and a time segmentation strategy where you have three buckets, cash, bonds, and stocks. You spend from the cash budget, replenish the cash budget from the bond or income bucket and replenish the bond bucket from the stock bucket. However, the devil's in the details. And there's a strategy that is patented and copyrighted by a firm called Asset Dedication that's a better form of bucketing. It's a time set segmentation strategy, cash, bonds, and stocks. But unlike the traditional bucketing strategy, it provides the means integral to its strategy of letting you know how you're doing. Is your portfolio growth keeping up with your spending? Uh, And that's a whole separate subject. So take a look at chapter nine if you're interested in looking more, learning more. A couple of other things I I just wanted to touch briefly on because I want to make sure we get to talking about the future too. But one of them is housing wealth and the other is estate planning. Can you cover that briefly just so and, and let our listeners know where they can get more information about each of those, because I think they're both quite important. Well, housing wealth. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, home equity represents roughly two-thirds of the average retiree's net worth. So you can't ignore housing wealth as the source of income in retirement. There's a government-insured version called the HECM Home Equity Conversion Mortgage, And we describe um, a bit more about what insured means. We also talk in terms of how you qualify and when you might need it. The the use that I'm making of it, because I have a HECM line of credit, is to provide an emergency opportunity fund if something happens and my plan for expenses increase. Inflation can be a source of, of that increase something coming out of the blue, like an uninsured medical emergency can also be an example. Uh, There are other uses that we talk about. Uh, It's important to remember that, that you retain title to your home and you don't have to make any payments uh, on the loan balance in the reverse mortgage unless you move sell a home or die. Costs, however, are much higher than for a conventional mortgage. Closing costs may approach $20,000. So tread carefully. The resources, I've been told that uh, chapter 10 of our book is the best for lay, lay persons that certain experts have ever seen before. But if you want to dig in to the real weeds, Dan Hultquist, and that's H-U-L-T-Q-I-S-T, Understanding Reverse 2022 is a great resource. And how about estate planning? 
Well, think about all you do over the course of your life to manage your person and your property. And then think about what if you're no longer able to manage your person or your property by way of, say, cognitive impairment. We stress in the book issues of incapacity because they're most often overlooked. You need a met, an advanced medical directive to make medical decisions and a num, among other documents, a durable general power of attorney to make financial decisions. We talk in terms of several examples of where uh, the documents aren't in place and it becomes a mess, not a legacy. Then we switch to after you're gone, ways to distribute your assets, their wills, joint ownership, revocable trusts, beneficiary designations. We talk about each one of those. And we also focus on some celebrities who didn't plan ahead and whose estates went through the process of intestacy. The court, uh, the court process, which means court, which means expenses and delays in the settling of your estate. Finally, just a sentence about hiring an estate attorney. Make sure that you're working with an estate attorney who specializes in estate planning or concentrates his or her practice. And consider hiring a fellow of the American College of Trusts and Estates Council that you can see uh, and find somebody in your geographical area at www.actech.org. Okay, and we're getting close to the end of the interview, uh, Marjorie, but I wanted to hear from you, and I'm sure our listeners do too, to talk about the talk, the talk with our family members about death and mental incapacity and money. And I'm sure it's often difficult for families because they don't want to face that possibility. But in the event that that families are ready for that talk, help us understand what actions should older women take and what decisions should they make before having that discussion with their family members. I think it's also important to add what you want to be your legacy to the conversation about death and mental incapacity and money. Legacy is extremely important. There are two tools that can help, but the very first thing is you need to think through, you know, what you want to share and it should be pretty much everything with those closest to you. Those tools, the conversation project is one, it was launched by Pulitzer Prize winning columnist Ellen Goodman. Eleanor and I tried it and found that it um, provides an array of where I stand options for you to choose, such as, as a patient, I'd like to know, which you could complete with only the basics at one extreme or all the details about my condition and treatment at the other. And it may be those children or close friends who are going to be carrying out your wishes. It, the conversation project makes you think long and hard about what you need to say and has you put this in your own words, whether in an article, a podcast, or a video. Then there's another resource. It's really for the extroverts and quick starters of the world. This initiative called Death Over Dinner was launched by Michael Hebb. And you can scroll through a soups to nut menu with prompts for your chosen guests, your intention for the dinner, and what background information you might send to your guests prior to your dinner. Death Over Dinner is more process oriented than the conversation process. It moves you past the contemplation stage to the end goal having the talk itself. Okay. Well, what are a few basic concepts older women should think about in their retirement and plan to implement? Well, this is a, uh, a good way to kind of close, uh, tie things up. Uh, I wish there were a few, but I, uh, I would think there are 12, and we've talked about really most of them a bit. First transition, so when life happens, you will be better prepared. 
Second, elder abuse and the ways you can avoid it. Housing options, bottom-up budgeting, Medicare, Social Security, annuities, safe withdrawal rates, how to create a paycheck in retirement. Number nine is home equity and how to tap it in retirement. Ten is estate planning concepts. Eleven is having the talk with your next of kin. And twelve, which we really haven't touched on, but our conclusion addresses it. And that is, how will you spend your time? Think about saying no to certain things that don't really sing your song in retirement. Have the courage to say no to those things. But no would be a pretty uh, lonely place if you weren't saying yes to other things. And uh, we give examples throughout the conclusion of the things that Eleanor and I said no to, said yes to, had uh, time to enjoy, uh, time to explore, and so on. It's very important. Number 12, time is extremely important because you want to do in retirement what gives you purpose and passion, even though you're no longer in the workforce. Think about that before you retire. Well, that's well said and an excellent way to close out this really very, very informative program. And I really want to thank Marjorie Fox, co-author of Women Wise, The Essential Guide to Financial and Lifestyle Decisions as We Age. Thank you so much for joining me today, Marjorie. You're welcome, and thank you for this opportunity. To learn more about Aging Matters, of course, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at the site, you can access all the Aging Matters radio and TV show content, in addition to Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. You can learn more about that company at inkmouthmedia.com. So thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.